Truth is important too. This is not about getting Hunter Biden. This is not even about getting Joe Biden. This is about getting the truth out there and making sure that this never happens again. This kind of uh, big tech, big government, big media collusion to swing an election. Exactly. And uh, I mean, look, if nothing else, cleaning out the FBI, uh, I think should be number one priority. Hi. My name is Anna McElhenney. And um, my name is Philip McAleer. Welcome to the Anna Film Scoop. Yes, welcome. Um, it's February. Yes. In fact, actually, this week is Valentine's Day. Love, so, yes. um, very special time for yeah. us. So, yeah, this week is Valentine's Day. And actually, somebody wrote in the comments recently that they wanted to know how we met. We'll bring you that story you in, know, bri- in brief. In bri- brief very, brief, very, very brief. Very, very brief. Mostly you know. because I look very good in the story and Phelan does not look as well in the story. We'll, we'll bring that to you. But it'll be a much truncated story. You know, sometimes it's better to look forward rather than back. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and those, who, those who remember the mistakes of the past are condemned to repeat them. Mm, or something. Or yeah. something. Um, what's, what, you, what story you've got a story there Adam. I've got a story yeah about the left are coming for more than your gas go- guzzling stove incredible rep- um, of course they are they hate you yes exactly yes. well exactly okay oh and talking about soulless mind numbing bureaucrats LA City is still trying to destroy restaurants hammered by their shutdowns you know so they they stuck them in the gutter and when they were down there they want to kick their head in when they're down there and why because they can yeah and later, Phelan is going to speak to the great man, the divine, about the latest Hunter Biden news and how it all leads back to Joe. Don't forget it all leads back to Joe. And I told you, I told you, I told you, I'm going to boast now. Liberals have no taste and jazz music is irredeemably bad. <sighs> Controversial. Yeah, not so this is a perfect story uh, that combines two of my favourite uh, Groups of uh, irredeemables, uh, jazz music. People who listen to jazz music and liberals. Uh, jazz music is kept going by people who feel they have to pretend they like it because all their liberal friends like it. We will bring you an exclusive report. <laughs> and Anne doesn't know what I'm talking about. I, I don't. can see a look of absolute terror in her eyes. And uh, oh, the three words you never thought you'd hear me say. Oh. It's not, it's not I love you. Josh Fox is right. Poor, poor Josh Fox. Oh, poor Josh Fox. Oh, gosh, I, that's, I'm intrigued by that one. Yes. I don't even know what that yes. is. Yes, the liar behind the Gasland fake news documentary has suffered at the hands of the ultra-fascist, racist New York Police Department. The humanity. The humanity. And we watched some romantic comedies, so you don't have to, uh, given the season that we're in yes. for Valentine's Day and all of that. But we want to start with this report. Um, so I read this story in the Wall Street Journal. Just amazing, you know, just when by you Alyssa, thought... By Alyssa Finley. By Alyssa, Alyssa Finley. And she's basically, rep- you know, bringing to our our consciousness this new report from the University of California uh, Cal Davis and and, uh, them combined with a network of academic and policy experts called the Climate Community Project and basically they have Sounds very rigorously neutral Basically this bunch of geniuses have have just discovered that Mm -hmm. replacing gasoline powered cars with electric vehicles won't be enough to prevent Never the planet enough. from boiling up. Um, but they've di- but they've discovered a couple of other things too along the way. But it's but one of the, I mean one of the things I would that I think is most important about this story is the fact that um, leftists have ideas that sound okay. That, that some some of their ideas sound okay. They kind of sound reasonable. So you know, 
renewable energy. That sounds great. Who does? Who wouldn't think that that's a great idea? Anything for free. I mean, I'm all for that, right? But haven't thought through the mm. consequences or the realities of making of making renewable energy. You know, net zero. Have yeah. not. Have literally not thought. You know, you'd like to think that people making these extraordinarily important decisions that cost gazillions of dollars that they'd have uh, thought and impoverished people and impoverished people that they'd have th- or, and kill people that they would have thought through um, the possible consequences uh, and the simplest consequences and they haven't um, just extraordinary so the report the, this report anyway from Cal Davis report um, offers an honest this is again from the Wall Street Journal offers an honest honest look at the vast personal environmental and economic sacrifices needed <laughs> to meet the left's net zero goals you know so basically it's progressive's dirty little secret is that everyone will have to make do with much 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 less fewer cars smaller houses and yards and a significant lower standard of living to satisfy these climate zealous yeah. zealots right so the first problem i just think this is a great story and one that we have you know touched on before but it's just amazing that now we have the left actually acknowledging it um and quite a number of them acknowledge it so what they've worked out is number one problem electric vehicle batteries you know you just love this like you really you didn't think of this right electric vehicle batteries require loads and loads of minerals such as lithium, cobalt and nickel which must be extracted from the ground Hmm. like fossil fuels. If today's demand for EVs is to be projected to 2050 the lithium requirements for the US EV market alone would require triple the amount of lithium currently produced for the entire global market. So just for the US the complete global market three times that just to satisfy the US can I just say, you can if they it. had a l- listened to us speaking yes. 15 years ago yes. when we were promoting our documentary, Mind Your Own Business, I mean, we, we would constantly get reeled at by anti-mining activists and we'd say, look, you, you are pro-mining because that laptop that you're using to promote your anti-mining message, that f- mobile phone you're using to promote yes. your anti-mining message <laughs> is all mined. Yes, and it's it, all it didn't grow, and, your apple did not grow on trees. Boom, boom. Do you like that? Wow. I've said that before. I said that when we were in Copenhagen, by the way. God Copenhagen. help us. Copenhagen. It was very cold. I remember we were there. It was cold in your heart. It was cold in my heart, too. Been surrounded uh, by 30,000 climate zealots. So like, going on with this story, because every part of this is good, and I am quoting a lot from it. Unlike fossil fuels, these lithium and, you know, these rare earth minerals, by the way, uh, are found in undeveloped areas that have abundant natural fauna and are often inhabited by indigenous people. So how sounds is that like, going to work out for like you? Sounds like Nevada. How is that going to work out for but you? But by the way, there are, I mean, uh, this is slightly wrong. Well, actually, these people are slightly wrong because there's lots of rare earth metals in the United States as well, but they just won't mine them because it's uranium and lithium and scary other ethiums. Well, it's, 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 ver- it's very difficult to mine them without polluting is basically the problem. So we're very happy to have that polluting being done in China where most of these rare earths are coming from, which is not a, which is also not a great idea. Um, yeah. But, you know, so and, you know, married to this situation, the fact that obviously getting a mining permit in the United States is basically impossible. Yeah. Problem number two. Mining requires huge amounts of energy and water and the process of refining minerals requires even more. According to the report, mining accounts for 4% to 7% of greenhouse emissions. Automakers have made a priority of manufacturing electric pickup trucks and SUVs because drivers like them, but they require much 
bigger batteries and mm-hmm. more minerals. Yeah. So more mining to make more EVs will increase CO2 emissions. You know, again, unintended consequences, but unthought of consequences. You know, this is just going hell bent into something without actually working out. Well, will there, will there yeah. be any costs, you know? Um Problem number three, I'm just running through this. Producing electric vehicles and building and maintaining roads, highways and parking lots are energy and emissions intensive processes with high levels of embodied carbon. Basically, electrification of US transportation systems will massively increase the demand for electricity while the transition to the decarbonized electricity grid is still underway, right? So you're needing loads of electricity for your electric car At a time when electricity is being produced less and less by fossil fuels, because that's the goal. So it's being produced by renewables. And the renewables, as we have mentioned many times here, are unreliable because they are weather dependent. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, so the kind of the, you know, the, the conclusion of this story, and it kind of goes on a bit, but I mean, it's really, really brilliant. The conclusion is that the left want us to live in tiny apartments they don't want us to drive. They want us to be bi- bicycling. They want us to or, cycle. Or public transport. Public transport. Got the, the humanity. Public transport, because that's really safe, by the way, in a place like Los Angeles. Yes. So public transport or, or cycling. Anyone, anyone, uh, who, anyone who's, who promotes public transport, I guarantee you, has never had to be on a public transport system in a Democrat city. Yeah. I mean... I mean, it's it's you take your life in your hands, you know. It's, the, 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 I mean, and you're probably the only one paying the fare. And in and I mean, it's it, it's you know, you can't make this stuff up. By the way, and in, in, in a further part of the story that I just loved, you know, the Cali- just to give you a flavor of the Californian, you know, legislators here, you know, so Californian Democratic legislator last year passed a law that was going to give anyone yeah. who anyone who didn't have a car. Anyone who didn't have a car was going to get either a th- was going to get a thousand dollars. They passed that law, yeah. but the original draft of that law was that anyone who didn't have a car was going to get seven and a half thousand dollars. <laughs> right? right, nice one. Right and, and now, so, what happened? It's interesting, actually. What happened there was when it came, it was passed. This law was passed at the reduced level of a thousand dollars. But when it came to Newsom, Gavin Newsom, Governor Gavin Newsom's desk, he realized, oh God, that's going to cost us a fortune. So he actually vetoed the bill. But he said himself at the time, he said that he, in, you know, in theory, he very much supports the idea of approaches that to incentivize incentivize a transition from vehicles to more sustainable transportation okay. i.e. bicycle did, did, did he did he take the bus or cycle <laughs> to the French laundry oh Phelan that's when just, he was breaking Covid regulations that's just that's just and look at the lovely photograph of him there having his lovely dinner sure, sure why wouldn't sure who wouldn't want to be going there that's right and you know by the way if you do want to go there you have to book like you know three years in advance I would say Gavin Newsom does not have to book three years in advance so anyway, what's going to happen is people. So the electric cars. Can I just ask a question? Yes, you may because you're, you're is it, it's, it's is your it, podcast. So film. we're we're famously a one car family. We are, which I know is, is some kind. I of, know it's some kind of a human rights. All abuse. you Americans out there going, my God, how did they, they do okay? that? Send send us more money. Send us more money to sendusmoremoney.com. Yes. Yeah, because yes. we only have one car. Anyway, we only have one car because why do we have one car, Philip? We have one car. Can you tell me? I mean, we have one car because we don't need two cars. Is the actual reason, Phil? Because the fact is, we do actually live in a walkable neighborhood. Well, walkable for now, for until, many things, until the zombies take over. And yes, but basically, but sometimes a, sometimes we do need a second car, and then we Uber or whatever. Yes. but but you know, anyway, we have one car. So, given that it's a human right for Americans to have 
two cars per family. Does should th- we get money? Should we get the money, the thousand dollars, if I'd, he ever decides to give it? I'd like that? to go with the higher level of seven and a half thousand dollars. Okay, that'd be just lovely. Sorry to interrupt. Yes, but the, yeah. So basically, this, so Gavin Newsom thought it was a great idea, and so basically, the, that's what the left want to do. They want to move us all into the cities. They have us living in these tiny apartments, like people do in Paris and places like that, um, wherever they have these miniature fridges and stuff. It's all very, very depressing, um, and we have to cycle everywhere. Uh, by the way, it's not that's, like that's the future. Emily in Paris lives in a in an unbelievable mm. apartment. Yes, yes. In makes Paris. no. There's no sense. By the way, there's nothing about that program, which is very delightful to watch. By the way, Emily in Paris. However, there's nothing about it that makes any sense at all. Particularly the fact that particularly the fact that she wears you know couture outfits every day and never. Um, wears them twice. Well, I like. I also like what is no one. No one remarks on her outfits, and nobody remarks on her outfits. Um, but basically, the demand for electricity, if this electric car thing was allowed to get away with itself, which it won't be able to, because they won't have enough um, battery, battery, you know, battery parts, basically, to make it. But if they would, it would, it would put such a strain, and it will be putting such a strain, by the way, on the electric grid that they're going to be asking people to set their thermostats to eighty in the summer and sixty-five in the winter. That's the goal. So. Basically, you'd be you'd be boiling up in the summer, and yeah. in the winter you'd be frozen. And by the way, talking of frozen, you notice that we still have awful weather here. So I would like to vote for global warming and global warming quickly to Please. come back to California. Thank you. Because we're tired of the cold now. Yes. So talking of cold in California. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, segue there, no? Yes. Maybe? Uh, let me tell you about this story. And here's a quote. It's like being kicked in the shins over and over again. This is from the Los Angeles Times. Dear, oh dear. Holly Fox, co-owner of Last Word Hospitality, uh, the group behind Found Oyster, Oyster Bar in East Hollywood and Nossa Capriani Bar in Los Feliz, is bracing for another painful, expensive battle to stay in business. Oh, yes. And it's not a painful, expensive battle with rising prices or anything like that. In the fall of 2020, she spent about 22000 to install a par- parking... A parklet. Parklet. They call it a parklet. A parking a parklet patio. Parklet, a patio in her parking lot in front of the Frowned Oyster using a permit she was granted to the city's LA Alfresco program that allowed restaurants to quickly open outdoor dining areas amid the pandemic. When they shut the restaurants and then they said, you can open outdoors... Uh, and we will give you can just build your patio now, and here you go. Two weeks later, dining was shut down again. She reopened in February 2021 and has continued to adapt the sustainable business model. The Alfresco dining program saved Found Oyster. Without it, we would have had to close. So, so that was kind of good. What do you think the city? I mean, and by the way, we can we can testify to this. This has saved dining all across LA. It has put a pep in the step of all these restaurants. Some of our favourite restaurants have expanded into their yeah. car park, into yeah. their alleys, into their it backyard. Was their only hope. It was their only hope, actually. Yes. Um, so the city has now decided, you know what? You need permits for the, you need extra permits because they have permits. Uh, there were issues within two weeks. You need extra permits and the permits are going to cost an absolute fortune, maybe 50,000, but also take a year to get. Oh yeah. Or oh, so you close down the patio in the meantime. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. So this is this is you know this is why people are leaving California in droves. It is incredibly hostile environment for businesses and small businesses particularly. You know, if you think, if, I mean, if anybody had, I mean, talk about humanity. If you had any humanity, you'd be so generous to these restaurateurs who have survived this awful, 
time for their business when they were and, and it wasn't by the way it was it was bad enough they were closed inside but they had all kinds of ludicrous um, uh, laws and, and regulations and we know from friends who have um, yeah. restaurants and bars that these regulators would turn up all the time with a, like with the measuring tape yes you know another see, thing um, where was where was your COVID regulation sheet you know whatever that had yeah. to be displayed publicly and the chair was at the wrong angle to the table I'm, my favourite one was uh, the like on the 3rd of July, they announced that the restaurants would been closed over the 4th of July weekend and restaurateurs had bought yes. in all the Tons food. Of food. Yeah. For on the 2nd of July. So yeah. they bought in all the food and Terrible. arranged all the workers and then they were closed. Yeah. You know, for, and, I, and they had a thing, we know a friend of ours who has a bar, you know who I'm talking about, Phil, and I yeah. won't say his name, but but um, but he was saying like that they had this thing where you, you know, so, you, so the bars were closed or whatever, but they started this thing where, and you know, business people, it, sh- it sort of sh- shone a light on how entrepreneurs, you know, you know, are problem solvers, you know, and will yeah. suddenly find themselves in a dreadful situation and come up with a great solution. So there was this thing where, so the bars were closed or whatever, um, and people started, you know, the, as I said, our friend was doing these takeaway cocktails. So you could turn up at this place and you get the cocktail and, you know, take it away or whatever. And drink it at home. And drink it at home. Or, you know, or, or you know, why not walk up the street or hold on to it? And his place is, one of his places is in Santa Monica. And, very funny, you know. So he was had come up with this great solution. He had yeah. these great containers. He bought all the containers. He, you know, was they were making up the cocktails. People were delighted, and people were taking the cocktails and walking outdoors and all that safety and yeah. all that stuff. And uh, the next thing, the regulator, some regulator came to his place. I think I know you know this story, yes. film, and said I to do. him, um, "Now the lid on those cocktails is too easy to take off. Yes, you know, we don't want that. You see, we want them to take them home." And drink at home because, of course, it's so safe. And 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 uh, because walking, of course, you know, wouldn't be something that you would want to be encouraging. So, but also, people are actually injecting drugs outside this guy's, <laughs> outside this guy's restaurant. Yes, literally yes. injecting and yes. smoking meth. Yes, and they're getting excited that some people would walk down Santa Monica sipping a cocktail, sipping sipping their margarita, you know, or their yeah. or their whatever. So anyway, you know, he was throwing his eyes up to heaven. But, but basically t- saying, so, you know, so the regulators are have been very clear and very open about. Why? About the need for all these permits. Here's what the um, the person from LA City Hall said. Oh, I'm sure this is very rational. Restaurants will need to apply under the permanent alfresco program in order to continue offering outdoor dining at their establishment. Yehig Keshian, LA Planning Chief External Affairs Officer, wrote in an email to the Times. The original intent between the LA Alfresco program was to provide restaurant operators the ability to temporarily keep their doors open during the height of the pandemic as a result of waivers granted through emergency orders. Now those emergency orders are being lifted, the city must codify this programme to preserve the original intent intent of L.A. Alfresco. So we are asking you to pay tens of thousands of dollars and wait a year because we can. Is, is Is the actual, I mean, there's nothing there you know, 14 people have been injured because yeah, of this yeah, Alfresco yes. programme. That's right, it's, yeah. uh, We've had 75,000 complaints about it. Yeah. No one has complained. No one's been injured. No one's been affected badly. Nothing has happened. Nothing has gone wrong. But they want to get their tens of thousands of dollars. And they also want these people to suffer for a year because business people are evil. Yeah, we're going to you know? do it. We're going to, you know, we'll have a regulation for regulation's sake because we love making regulations because that's all I ever do all day. Is There's Ty- Tyler Wells, the Horrible. chef owner of All Time Restaurant in Los Feliz. We lost uh, 75% of our business overnight, he said, in the, in the shutdowns of the pandemic. Outdoor Horrible. dining allowed us to bounce back. 
and I've I've searched the article. It's a lengthy article, and it's just one misery after another. But there's nothing from City Hall saying. This is, has to happen. We have to have this regulation because yes. all of the complaints, as you said, or all of the people who've been injured. Yeah. So there's none of that. There's no justification for it. No. Uh, except for it's a kind of a money grab. A power but, grab as well. But it's enough. This is the kind of thing, though, that breaks people's hearts and and would break the hearts of somebody trying to run a small business who's suddenly seeing some kind of uptick because they've got this yeah. outdoor uh, dining situation. And it's, you know, and suddenly something good has happened. Yeah. And now City Hall comes along because we're not allowing anything good to happen in LA. Yeah, this yeah. Is, we're not going to be part of that. It's basically the thing, right? Let's actually go now to my the interview I just did before I came on air here with Miranda Devine, uh, the new the brilliant New York Times, sorry, New York Post reporter. Uh, it's about all things Hunter Biden, uh, Twitter, uh, the Twitter hearings, the the head honchos of Twitter were called before Congress, and uh, let's talk about how it reveals the corruption in the FBI in the White House. Let's go over that interview now. So we're joined now by. The great Miranda Devine. Uh, we, we once did a tour with her documentary, Mind Your Own Business, in Australia, and we got off the plane. And there was Miranda's, uh, a full page Miranda had written about our documentary. It was an amazing thing to see. And uh, it's come full circle. We met her, we reconnected with her in Manhattan a few years ago. She's there now. She has now moved to the United States, is a, a columnist and journalist with the New York Post, a Fox News contributor, a best-selling author, uh, with a particular interest in the certain son of a certain president, um, which is why we have her here. So welcome, uh, the great Miranda Devine, uh, to the show. Thanks, Philemonan. Great to be with you. Um, Miranda, we could have you on every week talking about the Hunter Biden story. Um, and I suppose yeah. I, sh- I should say to people, the reason Miranda is here is because, anyway, apart from being a brilliant journalist and working for the New York Post, is she's written a book, Laptop from Hell. We'll put a picture of it up there, Laptop from Hell, uh, about the Hunter Biden uh, laptop and scandal and media scandal as well. So as I said, Miranda, we could have you here every week talking about the latest Hunter Biden developments. Um, what really prompted this one was the Twitter hearings um but there's just so many stories. There's the Judicial Watch uh, emails that were released as well. But tell us, what's your takeout from the Twitter hearing? So several senior Twitter executives were uh, interrogated slash roasted by a committee of Congress recently. Tell us what you got from that and what, what it means. Well, I think the fact that the Democrats have stacked it with their finest killers, uh, people like Jamie Raskin uh, and the the freshman Dan Goldman, the Levi's heir, who was the lawyer uh, who was um, so deceptive during the impeachment of Donald Trump um, over Ukraine. Uh, The fact that the Democrats have stacked these committees with these people and the fact that they went in so hard uh, at the first hearing and told so many lies. You know, I wrote a column. It was it was impossible in one column to cover all the lies they told. Um, and it shows that the Democrats are really concerned that they are trying to kill this, strangle it at birth. They know that now that the Republicans in the House have an enormous amount of power to subpoena uh, former business partners of Hunter and Jim Biden, Um, to get access to financial documents and follow the money trail and uh, look into bank accounts. Uh, They know 
that the bell is tolling for Joe Biden and his involvement in his family's international influence peddling scheme, uh, at least while he was vice president and, of course, many decades before from Delaware. Um, And so they are rallying the troops. And we know already that there are tens of millions of dollars um, that have been amassed from dark money Democrat donors for uh, at least three, I think it's more now, of these sort of shadowy groups uh, that are going to be doing or are doing currently oppo research, paying for the best lawyers in Washington, D.C. to um, legally harass anybody that had anything to do with exposing uh what was on the laptop, Uh, everybody from John Paul MacIsaac, the computer repair shop owner, uh, Tony Bobulinski, Rudy Giuliani, Bob Costello, you name it, anyone who touched uh, that uh, hard drive, who spoke about the contents of that laptop, um, they're getting legal letters now bombarded with them. Uh, So that kind of um, intimidation of witnesses and legal harassment just shows how high the stakes are. Well, I mean, so I felt like interrupting you about four times, Miranda, because there's so many points. You, <laughs> seriously, there's so many points you raise that that need to be uh, uh, elongated and talked about more. But let's talk about the last thing you talked about. I mean, people don't know this, but as you say, anyone who ever touched the hard drive is now receiving uh, ferocious legal letters from well well tell me about the legal letters they're from hunter biden's legal team who i have some uh dealings with that i'll talk about in a moment (laughs) but uh tell me uh tell me about those tell me what those legal letters letters are threatening so the latest lawyer uh, hunter biden has um at least three uh, groups of lawyers he has um, he well, if actually four. He had George Mazier, who was running cover for him uh, back in October 2020 when we uh, broke the original laptop story. He has disappeared off the scene, I'm told, because he had to be a witness uh, in that Delaware grand jury looking into um, Hunter Biden. So then he got a new guy from, I think it's called Latham and Watkins, Chris somebody or other, um, who just writes rude letters to people and, and ignores any phone calls from the New York Post. Um, and then now he's got this real high-priced, high-powered DC lawyer called Abby Lowell. Very expensive. I mean, I'm told it to be, you know, upwards of $600,000 just for a retainer for him, for, you know, Hunter Biden, who's allegedly broke. Um, and then he has this other lawyer called Kevin Morris, who you're familiar with, who is a big hotshot entertainment lawyer in Hollywood, Uh, He made a fortune from the um, South Park guys. Um, He seems to have a lot of time on his hand. He's a sort of a, I think, a novelist as well, a bit of a fantasist. And he's also um, befriended Hunter Biden. They are now, as Hunter Biden's um, former friends say about Kevin Morris, he's Hunter's new sugar brother. Hunter always seems to be able to um, get older men to take pity on, and women, of course, uh, to take pity on him and and pay for him. And that's what Kevin Morris uh, appears to have done, paid off a $2.8 million uh, IRS um, back taxes, as well as the $20,000 uh, rent on his Malibu property, um, which he's moved out of now, that rental, but he's he's back in, in California now. Um, 
So all these lawyers, um, and together with David Brock from Media Matters, who also has millions of dollars, um, not he, he started up this new group called Facts Matter, which is specifically to combat uh, any inquiries into Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Jim Biden and the laptop. And so um, they will have their own lawyers to call on their own oppo research, um, their own hitmen and women. So that's what where Hunter Biden is, well protected, because, of course, it's not about protecting Hunter, it's about protecting the president. Yes, well, you know, this is, this is not, I mean, and of course, when we made the My Son Hunter movie, which you can watch by going to mysonhunter.com, um, when we made the My Son Hunter movie, it wasn't about having a go with Hunter Biden. It was because of the connections to Joe, because of the 10% yeah. for the big guy emails, because of, of Joe using its influence to get a prosecutor fired uh, who was investigating a company that that Hunter was allegedly Hunter was on the board of, but he wasn't really on the board. Uh, you know, he was there yeah. to bring the father in to bring his influence. Uh, an East, uh, you know, a, a Ukrainian, a Russian-linked uh, Ukrainian oil and gas company that the Russian government, the pro-Western Russian government, were investigating. And uh, uh, by Joe Biden was quite clear. I got the prosecutor fired. So. I mean, there's so much to say there. Um, we should mention that to people who don't know, Kevin Morris, Hunter Biden's lawyer, infiltrated the set of My Son Hunter, claiming to be a documentary filmmaker, and uh, was was asking uh, lawyer, lawyerly questions under the guise of being a documentary filmmaker, interviewed everyone at length, interviewed me for three or four hours, you know, a, a, as a documentary filmmaker looking for information. Um, so, so now the... It's funny, you, you know, I was recently talking to someone who had been involved in a, in a big legal action and uh, I knew the person well and the person said, you know, we, we had a great lawyer. And I said, you know, yeah, they had a great lawyer, but I think I always find that clients get the lawyers they deserve. Uh, which is a funny thing, you know. It's it's yeah. You, you you're a great lawyer, but you were also a great client, right? You were calm, right? Uh, you were you were able to know what was important and what wasn't. You didn't get personal, and uh, I think Hunter Biden has the lawyers he deserves. You know, I mean, Hunter Biden. There's no sense of humility. There's no sense of I I messed up. His his tell all memoir was full of lies. Uh, you know, he there's no sense of him having learned anything over the years, or or realized I messed up and I should, you know, keep my either keep my head down or come out and be honest. So he has the lawyers he deserves. He has Kevin Morris. They seem to be going on this, and idea of intimidating witnesses is a good idea, and maybe it is in today's America, but I'm not sure that's going to work. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it depends a lot on whether or not the Republicans um, are formidable and really use their power wisely and don't do a sort of a scattergun approach. Um, I, I'm, I'm not heartened by their first two hearings in oversight and judiciary um, run by James Comer the first and um, Jim Jordan. Um, I mean, I, I think they're very savvy politicians, but I'm not sure how well they're running these hearings and I'm told that the depositions behind the scenes will be filmed as in January 6 uh, hearings which that was the first time that was done um, and that they plan to follow a lot of those precedents that were broken that were set 
sort of taboos broken by the January 6th committee. Um, but it wasn't a great start because, for instance, on you know, you mentioned the three Twitter former executives. Um, one of them, uh, Jim Baker, James Baker, uh, was the former general counsel for the FBI, top lawyer at the FBI, um, instrumental in all the Russia hoax uh, attacks on Donald Trump. And um, he had to leave the FBI under a cloud. Uh, And then he pops up at Twitter five months before this crucial 2020 election in which the social media companies played a censorship role, um, particularly against us, against the New York Post, when we published, you know, three weeks before the election, that first exclusive story about uh, the laptop and what what the laptop told us about Joe Biden meeting Hunter Biden's Ukrainian benefactor in Washington, D.C., when he was vice president, which was just put the lie to Joe Biden's repeated claims during the campaign that he knew nothing about his son Hunter's overseas business dealings. Of course, we know now that he not only knew about them, but he was deeply, intimately involved. He met at least a dozen of Hunter's business partners. Um, There's some evidence that he profited uh, financially um, on the laptop. Uh, We have the Tony Bobolinsky testimony. um, And and we've also discovered uh, in the two years since just a a bigger story than the original corruption story, which is the cover-up and the intervention by the FBI, the FBI's pre-bunking of our story, uh, with the social media companies, they're telling Twitter to expect uh, in October, uh, likely in October, likely about Hunter Biden, this dump of a Russian disinformation, a hack and leak operation. Um, so corrupt. Uh, and we also know now from FBI whistleblowers that they sat on the laptop, which they'd had since December 2019. Um, they also sat on Tony Bobolinsky's five-hour interview he gave them before the election and the contents of his three devices, which just confirm what's on the laptop. They duplicate it and they augment it because it, they contain WhatsApp messages and encrypted Well, material. I mean, th- th- this is the thing that I always said about all these uh social media companies and, rep- and other journalists who said, well, we don't know if this laptop is genuine or not. Look... Yeah. There's emails, right? With CCing six people, ten people, four people. Yeah. So, let me tell you, journalists, what you're supposed to do, right? I know it's a very difficult concept, <laughs> right? But you take that email address, right, and you email that person, and say, "Did you send an email like this on this day? And can you confirm it's it's genuine?" Now that person will then go into their emails and search for it using search terms uh, from the, from that email you sent them, and confirm or deny. And uh, you know they may also not respond to you, but not responding is an answer too. Um, uh, they may you know. And by the way, claiming that it's a fraud is a big th- uh, lying about it is a big step as well. So there are there are dozens of ways of confirming whether. The, the information on the laptop. Hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah. Sorry, hundreds. Like yeah. it's, it's, you could phone the people as well. There's a thing called a telephone as well that <laughs> communicates with people um, and uh, you can ask them questions. You can even get on, uh, drive in a car to their house and knock on their door. Someone should have a term for it, like doorstepping a, a source. Yeah. 
Um, reporting. Reporting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Asking, uh, investigating. Then you could call people investigative journalists, you know. So this was this was always a scam. This was always ludicrous that that they couldn't prove or disprove the contents. I mean, it was it was it was it never stood up to any scrutiny. Um, I mean, and and the facilities. I mean, I look at the New York Times now. Well, I mean, they've done some amazing stuff on the murder of or killing sorry of Tyree Williams, uh, the guy who was who was killed by the police. There, they've analyzed as you know frame by frame the the, the the footage what cop did what what they said i mean it's it's an amazing piece of investigative journalism that time that um the biden administration bombed the family after the bombing yes. in kabul they did an amazing job there in afghanistan like they did a second by second breakdown of what happened in afghanistan whilst whilst you know journalists were being killed and the, the Taliban were taking over they were able to find almost in you know proof beyond doubt that the, that this was this was an innocent family so I think they'd be able to look at a hard drive in America and tell you whether it was genuine or not um, that, that's just my opinion um, but you're right the I mean I think this is a problem with all uh, all these congressional hearings is the congressmen, they, they're great at politics, but they're not very good at investigating or or drilling down into important, almost criminal matters. I remember when Planned Parenthood were up before uh, either the Senate or Congress, I think it was Congress, after the David DeLayden videos about them dealing in baby parts. And, uh, you know, it was quite, you know, and they were quite open about it. And... Uh, the first question a Republican congressman asked ahead of Planned Parenthood was, "How much money do you make a year?" And he spent about three minutes talking. You know, I think she made six hundred thousand mm. or a million dollars. Is this an appropriate amount for a person? To, and it's like that's not the point, right? That's not the point that she makes a lot of money, yeah. right? Uh, the point yeah. is that her organization is involved in criminal activity. But but he felt that was a better. It was easier to get people outraged that she was making a million a year rather than to go into the complex, slightly complex idea that they were they were involved in criminal activity. So, yes, they do like their grandstanding questions, and they had three people there who could have been drilled into, drilled down into. But I, as you say, I, I think they, especially Baker, got away completely scot free. I thought. Well, the Baker one was so frustrating because some somebody asked him. Who hired you at Twitter? How did you get into Twitter? And he pretended he couldn't hear, pretended he couldn't understand. Finally, you know, he's running down the clock because they have such limited time. And finally he says, oh, my boss is so-and-so. That's not the question. The question was not who is your boss. It was who hired you. He was asked again, follow-up, very mild follow-up, and he said, uh, uh, like he didn't understand, like he's really dumb. Um, oh, you mean who interviewed me? No, my boss interviewed me. No, the question is who parachuted you into Twitter five months before the election to act as a gatekeeper to keep out any derogatory information about Joe Biden? That's the question. And he got away with it. So I'm hoping that he's uh, deposed under oath, obviously, um, behind the scenes and filmed for hours by a trained interrogator. Yeah, I mean, his failure to answer that question means there's an answer there. It means, means, yes. there's, means there's a very interesting answer there. Yeah, and that's what I want to know because, you know, at the same time, Facebook um, it parachuted in a woman called, uh, a, a law professor called Pamela Carlin. Now, 
she was made herself infamous when during I think I think it was during the impeachment uh, of Donald Trump, the last one, when she made some snide, gratuitous crack about his teenage son, Baron Trump. His name made some joke about you know you might, your son might be a baron, but you're not a king, something like that. You know, really nasty. It was enough to draw Melania Trump, who never ever reacts to all the attacks on her and and her family, um, to actually come out publicly and defend her son. And so it was a really horrible thing for her, for Pamela Carlin to do and showed you the depths of her sort of Trump derangement. So she gets parachuted into Facebook. Facebook does the same censorship of the New York Post story. And lo and behold, immediately after Joe Biden safely installed in the Oval Office, she goes off and gets some cushy job in the Biden administration in, in, in the Department of Justice. So um, it's very, very fishy. Do we when when do we think these depositions are going to happen? Um, are they happening at the moment? Do you know? Yeah, I, I'm told they're happening uh, at the moment. Um, they they had their first interview of the archivists, the sorry, the general counsel for the National Archives, um, and the other day. And in fact, I've got that transcript now, and I'm about to go through it. But I'm told that there were some really interesting points there, including the fact that. The, the just five minutes before he walked into this um, to this interview, this deposition with the Republicans, um, he was handed a letter from the Department of Justice telling him not to speak, um, that, or, or at least that he couldn't speak about anything that had anything to do with Joe Biden and the classified documents um, scandal, uh, you know, involving him. And so, I mean, that that's sort of the main point um, because, you know, where the... The Biden people are very, very concerned now is that they've managed to keep Joe Biden um, quarantined away from the investigation in Delaware that's uh, the US attorney looking into Hunter Biden's business dealings. And um, so far, so good. But the classified document scandal now threatens to merge those two investigations as a special counsel looking into Joe Biden's alleged mishandling of classified documents, which were found, I think, in five different locations um, in his home, in his office at his University of um, Delaware um, of uh, University of sorry Pennsylvania office. They haven't looked at the University of Delaware, which is bizarre. You'd think the FBI would want to go there. There are lots of documents there from Joe Biden's Senate days. Um, but that now that we've looked at um, some material on the laptop that Hunter Biden wrote um, that uh, seems to, to um, seems unusually detailed and sort of profound and um, well-researched and intelligent and um, unlike all the other um, stuff that he writes and uh, looks like it, it could have come from classified information. How did he get his hands on it? Um, so, uh, and, and that's to do with Ukraine, one of these um one of these uh, documents, another one to do with the Russian oligarch. Uh, and, of course, um, the, the one, the email that Hunter wrote to his business partner, Devin Archer, about Ukraine, this 22-point <laughs> sort of uh, information, very, very erudite information about Ukraine's um, political system and energy um, politics, uh, it was written just a few days before his father flew off to Ukraine um, to meet the, uh, the bigwigs there. And so uh, he would have got a, a briefing from 
from a classified briefing from the State Department and, and the intelligence boffins, uh, did Hunter have access to that? Yeah, I mean, because if anyone has spent any time examining Hunter Biden's um, laptop or his books or any of his interviews, he's an expert on many things, including where to get the best crack cocaine in yeah. uh, in Los Angeles. Um, but he is not, you know, he is not an expert on the Ukraine. He's not an expert on energy. He's not an expert on East European energy uh, systems and companies. So where did he get that information? And did Joe slip him some classified information to make him appear more interesting so that he could get continue to get his $86,000 a month uh, whilst on the well, board? Well, actually, that particular email was an audition to get the $83,000 a month <clears throat> with Burisma, the energy company in Ukraine. Um, he wasn't yet on the board. He, he joined the board, uh, I think it was a month or anyway, a matter of weeks after he wrote that a very sophisticated email showing the importance, yes. And, of course, his father, you know, our guy, as he says in the email, going to Ukraine was a great boon um, for his bid to join the board. And, of course, he, he was desperate for money at that point and would have done anything and would have sold his grandmother for money. Um, so we don't know if if that classified information um, was was misused by Hunter Biden to, to earn money. We don't know that, but it's certainly a question that should be being asked by the special counsel looking into Joe Biden's alleged mishandling of that classified so info. So I want to wrap up, but I, w- I want to be clear. How many investigations are ongoing at the moment into Hunter Biden? You talked with the special, uh, the grand jury in Delaware. What's that investigating? So that's um, U.S. Attorney David Weiss in Delaware has been looking into Hunter Biden's business dealings since about 2018, Um, uh, you know, tax fraud, um, alleged tax fraud, money laundering, um, and a violation of the Foreign Agent Registration Act. Um, And so that's just very oddly been dragging on and on and on. Uh, You know, there was some talk that Hunter had rejected a plea deal. Uh, Hunter's lawyers swear blind to me that that's not the case. Uh, Maybe uh, maybe this rejection happened before these new set of lawyers came on, Um, but uh, maybe it never happened. But certainly has been taking forever. Um, Hunter's lawyers are trying to imply that it's taking forever because there's no there there. Um, yet there are leaks from, well, there aren't very many leaks. It's as tight as any DOJ operation that we've ever seen, unlike anything to do with Donald Trump, which leaks like a sieve. But, um, you know, there's some whispers that um, that the grand jury's been reconvened, that now they're going to have to indict him. Um, who knows? It's all incredibly political. And, of course, Joe Biden is the boss of Merrick Garland, the attorney general, who's the boss of... David Weiss, the U.S. attorney. Well, I mean, uh, from my experience with Hunter Biden's lawyers, maybe you're talking about different ones, but you can't believe a word they say. If they tell you Mm. he didn't reject a plea deal, if if Kevin Morris told me Hunter Biden didn't reject a plea deal, I would assume that means he did reject a plea (laughs) deal. So maybe they are. I mean, I know Hunter has, you know, many sets of lawyers. So maybe maybe you're talking to his one of his more reasonable sets of lawyers, but he has he has some dodgy lawyers around him. And I should add, uh, for the sake of full disclosure, that I have a, an ethics complaint with the California Bar Association against uh, Kevin Morris, Hunter Biden's lawyer, for, uh, for misrepresenting himself as a documentary filmmaker uh, whilst uh, asking. And what's happened to that? Uh, we're waiting. 
We're waiting. So um, mm. we're, you know, it's it's going up the chain and we're waiting. Mm. Um, the California, very interesting, the California Bar Association uh, has um, recently apologized for its poor performance in the past uh, because Tom Girardi, uh, actually this might be a story for you uh, regarding Hunter and, and, and Kevin Morris. So Tom Girardi, who, who was the, um, in the Aaron Brockovich movie, uh, he was the boss of Aaron Brockovich, who paid for the, the oh, yeah. right. So that was Tom Girardi. He was married to a real housewife, uh, um, and they had a very lavish lifestyle. He's now been indicted for stealing hundreds of millions of dollars from clients and and the worst thefts imaginable. You know, Indonesians who were killed in plane crashes, the Boeing plane oh. crashes, orphans, widows, all, you know, just stealing money left, right and centre. There was over 200 ethics complaints about Girardi over the years and the Bar Association found none of them credible or wow. closed the complaints. They have now published those complaints and have apologised uh, to uh, to the victims, but also in, apologised in general and said they are going to improve their, uh, their, the way they handle ethics complaints. So I have some tiny sliver of hope that the California Bar Association uh, will do the right thing. I don't know, though. I don't know. So that's that's where we are. But actually, that's a great... It's, I feel the Tom Girardi story hasn't uh, hasn't had the um, the publicity. It deserves. Uh, and, the mm. and, the, and the California... Surprising. Yes. Well... He was a massive Democratic donor. He was a massive. Yes, there we go. He was a celebrity, uh, and yeah. he knew. I mean, they were the bar association. Be quite been quite open. They said, you know, it's because he knew so many lawyers in California that uh, that basically they were all investigating his friend, um, their <laughs> friend. So, so that's where we are. Um, Let's let's see how it goes, Miranda. I'm sure we'll be back. As I say, I could have you on every week. It would be a pleasure. Um, but uh, let's let's see how it goes and hope that the Republicans uh, do better. Uh, because the, the truth is important too. This is not about getting Hunter Biden. This is not even about getting Joe Biden. This is about getting the truth out there and making sure that this never happens again. This kind of uh, big tech, big government, big media collusion to swing yeah. an election. Ch-choo. To rig an election, exactly. And, uh, I mean, look, if nothing else, cleaning out the FBI uh, I think should be number one priority. Um, Just one thing I wanted to flag to you that's just um, happened this morning is that the Washington Post um, (laughs) alleged fact checker um, has now looked into that that letter from the 51 former national intelligence um, intelligence officials that came out five days after our story and lied and said that the laptop was Russian disinformation. Well, James Clapper, who was, uh, you know, one, one of the more um, prominent uh, signatories, he's just told Glenn Kessler from the Washington Post that, um, oh, that, that Politico, who they leaked the story to first, um, uh, basically distorted um, the, 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 their, their letter and that really that wasn't what they said. Well, what a lie. I mean, if, if Politico misrepresented this, the letter, which it didn't, it gave the exact message that they wanted it to, um, 
then why didn't they reach out at the time to set the record straight? Um, They never did. Why did they not respond to multiple calls and emails and entreaties from me, from the New York Post over the last two years, to explain what they were doing and what they meant? They had the opportunity several times to set the record straight. They never have. It's only when the Washington Post comes calling and the Republicans are breathing down their neck because they're all going to be subpoenaed that these these dishonest people who should not have security clearances come clear. James Clapper, there was message distortion, he said. All we were doing was raising a yellow flag that this could be Russian disinformation. Politico deliberately distorted what we said. What a lie. Well, by the way, Mr. Clapper, there's a thing, there's actually a messaging system called Twitter where you could have written in real time saying, just to let people know, Politico has misrepresented our letter. We're only saying this, this and this. They didn't. In fact, Clapper went on to give multiple dozens of interviews. Yes. Reinforcing. They're such and, liars. And never. I mean, you know, the, the people have made a living out of this letter for two years. Yeah. And they, uh, and they never, ever once said, well, you know, just to let you know, Politico over-egged the pudding. What we were actually saying was this no, they, they they let that distortion run, and it's very very it's very similar actually. Last week I had John McGurk on from Ireland, and there was a story about a refugee being beaten up by by nas- white nationalist Irish people, and the journalist uh, hmm. who 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 ran the story, um, she was introduced on new. Uh, the Irish Times said she witnessed it, but she was introduced on in every radio show and TV show as having witnessed it. Now, if you read the story, it's very, a bit like that letter. It's very cleverly written. She never actually says she witnessed it. She says she was there and it happened. And subsequently right. she says, well, I, was, I had left and then I came back. Uh, but she was introduced on every radio show and every TV show as saying she witnessed it. And never once did she correct that uh, misapprehension and mislabeling mm. of her of her witnessing it. Uh, so well, that's a lie. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lie by omission. Yes, it's and, still a lie. And this clapper clapper's the same. Uh, he never yes. once corrected this political over-egging the pudding. So uh, actually, the political journalist should sue him. Um, anyway. Yes. Listen, thanks, Miranda. Um, uh, hope Pleasure. to hope to connect up with you in New York very soon. And if you're ever out in this part Terrific. of the world, let us know. And uh, Let's let's keep this story going because uh, it needs to be exposed. Uh, absolutely, thanks, Philip. Thanks, Great to talk to you. I mean, as I think Miranda, we talked about that. She could she could be on here every week, and we talked off yeah. air. You know, yeah. and it's like you don't want to be a reporter who's a one trick pony, right? You don't want to be the person who only does this one story all the time. But Hunter Biden, is yeah, just it's the, the gift, gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah. And also, if, if if the world was fair, you know, this is this is at Watergate level. This could, yes, the media should be taking this and running with it. But the media is actually acting as a blocker for the Democrats. So keep going, Miranda, please, and uh, we we will keep covering the story as well and investigating. The and story. she was saying that wasn't. I think she was saying to you that the the book is still selling. You know, the the laptop from hell is still in in hardback and selling gangbusters. Yes. So it, the story this it, this is the story that won't go away. Buy your book. Buy it. Buy. Uh, go and buy Miranda's book. Please do her a favor. Yeah. Um, laptop from hell. So NPR on. Yes. 
I love these. I love these things where researchers at NYU have discovered something. And I'm sure because, you know, I don't know know, what the story is. I don't know what the story is. But, you know, I love the idea that researchers are out there curing cancer, you know, and working out how to make us less depressed and stuff like that. Instead of that, though, here's what have have these researchers devoted their time to? They they have conducted a study on how long it takes for people to decide whether they love or hate a song. Okay. All right. Well, I've always said that's groundbreaking and extraordinarily important. Uh, but I, mean, you know, I, 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 I don't know how you justify that, right? What? The money? Yes. That's not how it's worked. That's not how it works. And in fairness, actually, I suppose in fairness, when you are at university and you are researching things, I think there is actually a case to be made for the fact that you're learning research methods. And so it doesn't okay. really matter, perhaps, yeah. what the thing is. Okay. However, I think it'd be nice now if they were devoting their time to things that mattered a bit more. Yes. Yes. But yes, they're now deciding to work out. I suppose there's, an, there's a business aspect to this yes. too, by well, the way. But the, the businesses should fund it. Actually, and the by the way, by the way that, I'll tell you one thing that makes that, and it's and you remind me where we were yesterday. Where were we yesterday? And because I think I do know what this story is about. But we were somewhere yesterday, and I was thinking everything about this place we're in is great, except for one thing that is really driving me nuts in this one place. And it was the music. Where was that film? And it yesterday. was it was either yesterday or the day before. And it was just like, is this going to ever stop? Oh, it was jazz music. And it, it was jazz music. Yeah, no, that was a couple I of will days be, ago. I will yeah. be honest with so, you about that. So anyway, ahead, I've, I've long held... Um, very strong feelings about jazz mostly music. Mostly biased, bigoted feelings very, about jazz music. Very strong. Um, so anyway, they, they, the researchers, after a lot of money and a lot of... Uh, and, and, and they use a method which NPR explained, which, to be honest, I couldn't really understand. Okay. Right? But anyway, they played large parts of it, small parts of it, and measured people's reactions and what they said, what or they said, turn, how turn the radio off, how they said they felt, and how they actually felt, and okay. all this. Right. All right. Right. So startling conclusion. This is hilarious. Startling conclusion. What? One film? of the conclusions was people really, 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 really like pop music. Pop music. Would that be the short for the word popular? Yes. So people really, really like popular music. Yes, yes. I think that's called a, is that a tautology? Good to know your tax dollars are at work, right? Yes. Another thing it might, was. There might be, a tr- there might be just an, a little clue there in the actual phraseology of popular music. But yes. I'm, off you go, Phil. Another there. thing was that people said they wouldn't like rock music, but actually liked it more than they, than they said they would. <laughs> said they did, right? Right. When they were exposed to it. Yes. Right. And yeah. So then. Startling. Interesting. And they buried this at the end, NPR. But Phelan ferreted it out because he's that kind of guy. Go on ahead. They there, divided the people into liberals and conservatives. Oh, that's interesting. And liberals are more likely to say they like jazz music when they really hated it. Oh, that's, I love that. So conservative it's kind of virtue, it's kind of virtue signaling yes. even when it comes down to your musical taste. Yes. Conservatives. I'm so sophisticated I can yes. deal with this, you know, crazy, um, sort of, you know, in almost torturous, in, torturous, industrial <laughs> clanging, yes. you know, of that, of that, yeah, of those, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. And on and on. But it means that you're sophisticated. It means that your tastes are better yeah, than the rest of us. You're racially sensitive, I think, too. Yeah, that's, that'd be true. Because funny, I've never really associated jazz music with, with African-Americans, but I suppose, I mean, of course it is, right? But For you know, the rest of us all, of course, love ABBA, you see, yes. basically Aryan youth, uh, by right. the way, who all grew Actually, up. And literally sort of Aryan. And they, and one they, of them is literally an Aryan youth. One of them is literally Aryan youth. She is the product of a, of a Nazi rape now, I think it was. No, no, it was a Nazi. A bit, a bit uh, consensual, a bit was it? A, a bit of a consensual. A bit of a collaboration. A bit of a collaboration of Aryan, of Aryan making. Yes. Okay, so So we yes. all like the, the white supremacist Nazis. Uh, Nazi. uh, sorry, um, ABBA. But anyway, yes, so 
conservatives and liberals, you know, the, the, the conservatives were honest about their dislike of jazz. Liberals said they love jazz, but uh, the, the, uh, the researchers found they didn't like it. Um, That's really funny, you know, because it's like it's 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 basically saying that that liberals are juveniles, basically. Because I mean, would you acknowledge? Of course, you were probably so cool, Phil. But I'm just thinking back in the day, like when we were when I was young, that there was almost a pressure. Do you remember the kind of thing that there'd be these art house movies yes. that made no sense at all now, yes. but they'd be in French and there'd be somebody yes. looking longingly into a camera for about seven minutes, and you but but nice music maybe underneath that, it. What do you call that? What Wings of Desire? Something like that. Wings of Desire. You had no idea what it was about, but you'd come out of the cinema, look all very tortured, and yes. say. Wow, gosh, amazing, really mm-hmm. amazing. And you go off recommending it to people as well. Now, eventually you grow up and you say to people, God, I never saw so much rubbish in my whole life. It was like watching grass grow. Much uh, better to look at yes. grass growing, actually. Yes. Um, but basically what you're saying is that the researchers came back with the fact that liberals <laughs> just never grow up and yes. always want to be virtue signaling about everything, even yes. when it comes down to music yes. that they don't like. And it's very funny, actually. I've noticed recently that, um, that on re- funny, I've really ro- noticed it on NPR recently, they'll be promoting some kind of ethnic music from some kind of village yes. in Africa or something, which I'm sure is very popular, the piece in of music Africa. in Africa. Probably, probably isn't, not. by the way, and probably <laughs> isn't. Probably, they're probably, more, per- they're more, probably- <laughs> more popular in San Francisco than the village in Africa. They're listening. By the way, the ones, the Rihanna. The ones, no, no, the ones in the village in Africa who listen to ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> they just love an ABBA. Yeah. They're all doing, you know, Dancing, Dancing Queen. Queen. But, um, but yeah, I've noticed that there's this thing of because, of course, we have to like indigenous music. You know, we have to yes. like some kind of indigenous music. And so, um, yes. Anyway, I just think that that's that's very funny, Phil. Thank you for sharing that. Tell us about Josh Fox now. Have you had oh, a Josh, Josh Fox? Fo- have you oh, had yeah, a Josh I have, Fox story? I have a Josh Fox now. Will this, will this romance of films with Josh Fox ever end? <laughs> like, really? Yeah, I mean... You so you're using the word poor Josh Fox. Yeah, poor Josh Fox. It's terrible. Three, word, three words I'd never have thought to find together in a yes, sentence. So Josh Fox. Tell us now. Uh, was on was he on the Twitters the other day? Oh, but on he's the, blocked on me. The Twitters. He's blocked me. So I Again. for somehow uh, I get to see his Twitters when he puts them on the uh, Instagram. Ah, uh, no. Right. So he, this is his Twitter. I locked my keys in my car the other night on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Oh, God help him. But I thought he lived in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania because that's where he was with the... Uh, upper West Side, by the way. Did he say Upper, sea? Oh, uh, we, upper uh, East Side? Or upper, upper West Side. Oh, yeah, very nice. Desrez. I was moving my deceased mother's stuff. Ah, oh, no, that's not funny. Well, no, it's not. Uh, and it's hilarious, right? So no, his mother then was living up there. Yes. Oh, no, then it was him. That, 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 that's that's what he was brought up. All right, fair enough. Brought up. Well, actually, okay. so, All right. however, his mother his mother died about a month ago, and I didn't tell you this. I read his, he wrote an obituary, or, you know, a, a eulogy to her, right? Okay. And you know when you read, have you ever been in a situation where you read a eulogy written by a son or a daughter to a parent, and it makes you feel sorry for the son or daughter? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, go on ahead. No, I, I read the eulogy that he wrote to her, and I was going... I'll, this is a lot becomes clearer now. Talk is it like what did they say? What's that thing of not not, not much love lost here? Is no, he I, I, he didn't know how how many times she was married. But oh, he, but he said he didn't he, know how many times she was he, married. She led such a chaotic lifestyle. She would lose houses, lose husbands. Oh God. All right. Um, okay. And but by the way, he strutted her around at anti frack. I met her many times on on the anti fracking roadshow that he was running. Uh, and she was there as a as a protester and a defender of him. And he's like he's his eulogy to her was going. I felt sorry for the poor fella. Oh right? Okay, off Being you go. Up Tell like us, that. make get your point. So, so he says I had two levels and a cane, trying to work the lock open. So two things, you know, okay. trying Jimmy the lock. The alarm went off. Someone called the cops. Oh God, of course, right? Okay, yeah. The cops rolled up and asked me. 
If it was my car. Okay. I said yes. And it wasn't. It's his mother's car. They got my license and ran it and said. That's not your car. Said, okay, it's your car. Oh, okay. I was happy because I was like, awesome. These cops are going to help me now. And they got into their car to roll away. And I was like, you're not going to help me? Uh, in the in the past, I've definitely had cops help Slim Jim my car, Jimmy my car, when mm-hmm. this happened. Okay. They were like, nope, we can't touch your car. It's a liability. We could get sued. Ah, uh, okay. I said, seriously? And he went, exclamation point, excla- sorry, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. That's question fine. mark, exclamation point. That was, that's how you, seriously? Seriously. And they said, we can't even jump your car. If something goes wrong, you, you can sue us. We're not allowed. Okay. So I watched them roll off. They rolled off. It's like, it's like can I tell you a story that's uh, remind that, that yeah. a story that that reminds me of? So I used to be a high school teacher in Ireland. Oh, no, you can tell the story at the end. Oh no, this is no this story, but it's through yeah. this. Yes. No, it's through this. I know, I know, but oh, I, no, you're not finished. I'm not finished. Oh God, yet. it's not finished yet. Okay, yes. go on ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry, I thought you. Okay, off you go. Okay. So I watched them roll off. I eventually got it open. It was a really hard break-in. I'm an expert at breaking into my own car since back in the 90s. But honestly, what the bleep, and he didn't say bleep, is the point of cops? And he put that in full Oh, he wrote that, okay. They could shoot me more easily than they helped me, than they could help me. It's a disgrace. That's why I'm an abolitionist. These people do not have the public interest in mind whatsoever. Oh. They are only here to disrupt and bleep people up. Oh. Never ever there to help. They don't prevent crime and they don't help people where they're in need. The whole system needs to go. Wow. I was not in the least bit worried that anyone would mess with me, except the cops. I was worried they might shoot me or bleep with me. Of course, I would have not had the same result if I was black. Of course, they would have immediately had guns drawn. Josh, look, sweetheart. And just remember, by the way, for everyone who doesn't maybe know who Josh Fox is, Josh Fox is the director and on-screen journalist, journalist in inverted commas, in the movie Gasland, in the documentary Gasland, one and two, and nominated for Oscars and all of this kind of thing. Lied about fracking, lied about people's lives, lied. Lied Lied about breast cancer. Actually, we should have played me uh, and lied about gas and water. You know, uh, we should have played me at the beginning, questioning him about that and getting him to admit that he used he, the famous flammable water scene in Gasland. He admits there was water in that ga- gas in that water system since before fracking began for centuries. For centuries. So, but I, the the thing that really struck me there was Josh. Um, look. You, the reason the cops are not helping you break into your car is because of the litigious culture that you support. That's right. Right? That's right. You know, people can't drill for oil or gas now, but they're being sued left, right and centre, which you support and fund and help raise money for. People can't, uh, you know, I'm sure these people who are messing with people's lives in the restaurant industry in in LA, it's all about oh, we need to. You need to be covered for insurance, and it could be a, a, a hazard. You have made this. You and your Democratic buddies have made this a highly litigious situation where mm. no one can help anyone uh, for fear of being sued. Correct. And it would have been great. I know it's very cold in Manhattan in February, and you'd loved 
for them, those guys, to jimmy your car and get you and in. And back in the day, they would have. And back in the day, they would have. But they had too many people like you, uh, encouraged by people like you, suing them and for thousands of dollars for messing up their car. And they've just decided it's not worth We're it. We're not doing it anymore. You're on your own. Get a locksmith um, and uh, pay the hundreds of dollars or, you know, or get an Uber. If you, if you haven't banned the Ubers to your friend's house where the key other key is. Um, or, by the way, buy a car where I mean, he's loaded. Like He's, he's made millions from this anti-fracking activity. Funny, I don't think you can lock your car keys in your car anymore. I think that's a thing of the past. But my story was that quick story that just reminded me of this was that I was a high school teacher in Ireland and I locked my car keys in my car and I was in a car park like there was, you know, shops around and everything. And a couple, about two or three boys that I taught we're just we're knocking around kind of bold boys I think now is my memory of them and uh, and uh, they, they, they wheeled up to me to see that, like you're tough boys you know and what's happened to you whatever and I've got the cars and, and, and the guys basically they sort of said to me okay so just turn your back there <laughs> like just turn your back and it was like they, it was really funny because they had this kind of thing where they immediately communicated with each other and went like pointed to one of them and sort of said and I can't remember the name of any of these people anyway and said something like He's going to open this in a minute now for you there. <laughs> don't you worry. Just turn your back there. And there was some way of like, you know, and yeah. don't be telling anyone. And I can tell you, the guy had the car open. It was Before instant. It was instantly he had the car open. Yeah. Um, but I just always, always thought that was really funny. You know, and don't be telling anyone now that he's got this special skill. Anyway, we watched a few romantic comedies so you don't have to because this week is the week of Valentine's Day. But before we get to that, um, I will say just this one thing. Somebody did ask us how we met, by the way. We met at the McGill Summer School in Donegal. Uh, was it during the first or the second ceasefire film? Second, I don't know. But during the second during ceasefire. The, some, um, some and by the way, 90s. how many people can say that about their romantic past, that their romantic past is connected to ceasefires in Northern Ireland among terrorists? Freedom fighters. Freedom fighters. All right, fair enough. I knew you were going to say that. So, yes. Either both, the sides, first, both sides. Both sides were freedom fighters. By either way. the first or the second ceasefire, we went, I went to a, a sort of a political conference in Donegal, where I'm from, with my friend Mary. And a young journalist from Belfast turned up looking very unkempt, I love to say now. I'm going to look for a photograph. They may not, I may not find one, but if I do, I'll put it up there. Very unkempt. Big head of curly brown hair, by the way. And I would say in fairness, like maybe, you know, kind of, I would say te- what I would at the time described as sort of terrorist facial hair, kind of up right up the front of the top under just underneath his ear, eyes, basically all around his ears and all that kind of quite the look, actually. But but these very shiny, sparkly eyes anyway, and a lot of. So that's where we met. And just let's say one of us knew immediately that that was the person that we're going to marry. And another person took a bit longer because they're not that smart, you know, somewhere so, down the road. Our paths are going to cross again. again. That's it. Doesn't Enough of that. Really so, um, and the other thing I would say is then we got, the other thing that's kind of funny is that we did get engaged on Valentine's Day. No, no, we got engaged. No, we got engaged in Andorra on the side of a mountain, right? At a, on a skiing trip. And Phelan was very smart and we went up the side of the mountain and he had a backpack, which I thought was weird. And then when I was trying to organise the skis, I'm still not able to organise the skis. I turn around and there he is on the knees or on the one knee or whichever way he was Never. doing it. And had a bottle of champagne and the glasses and the whole lot. And sure, everyone on the mountain was making a big fuss of us. Anyway, that was great. And I said to him, oh, my God, there we are getting engaged. Isn't that mad, mad, fabulous? Great. Thanks a million. And oh, my God, amazing film. It's Valentine's Day, to which my husband then says, my present husband just said, um, oh, is it? It's, it's Valentine's, Valentine's Day? Day? 
So he actually didn't know it was Valentine's Day and he was disappointed because he felt it was a little bit cliched to yes. be getting engaged on Valentine's Day. Yeah. So there you go, our film. You know, you couldn't help yourself. But anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway, it's going so, so far, so far, so well, so good. This is 2023. So we're married now since 2001. We got married in September 2001 um, after 9-11 and actually during the during our mass. We prayed for people in the United States of America who were dealing with the aftermath of 9-11. So we'd always not have difficulty remembering what year we got yeah. married in anyway. Anywho, so that's... We just... Uh, sometimes have difficulty remembering our anniversary. Sometimes we have missed our anniversary. I don't think that says anything about the state of your relationship, by the way. I think it says a lot about the state of your, of your working lives, that you're working too much, that, yes, that sometimes we have... And by the way, we've both forgotten the anniversary. It wasn't like one of us was sitting... In fact, this. one of us remembered it. Well, sorry, one of us said... Did we? What did we what do? One of us was sitting there in October, going, "What did we do for our anniversary this year?" And the other person said, "We were married in September, and September has passed, and both of us forgot to have an anniversary thing. So we need to remember next year, Philip." Mm. Anyway, we went to see these romantic. We didn't go to see these romantic comedies. We streamed a three romantic comedies, so you wouldn't have to. And I would have to say the thing that they all had in common is that they're beautifully, fabulously, extraordinarily, and powerfully forgettable. Some um, more forgettable than others. And some more forgettable than the others. Like so forgettable that when you look at the name of them in the notes uh, for the podcast, you think, what was that about again? Like it's actually a challenge. So the first one we watched, which is the most recent one I think we watched, which is called Your Place or Mine with Ashton Kushner and Reese Witherspoon. Um, it's okay. That's not okay. It was, it was, it was, there was no, I mean, it was a romantic comedy where the two lead romantic people were basically in different cities for 90% of the movie. Which is kind of unusual. I, I think, thank God, because uh, there was no chemistry between them anyway. That's possibly why the director kept them in two different cities. Yeah. Yes. It, was just, it was unbelievable. Uh, the story was unbelievable. I know it's a romantic comedy and the stories you know, aren't supposed to be you know, rock solid, but it just it didn't make sense on a number of levels. Yes. yes. It didn't even make sense within the crazy world of romantic comedies. N- no, uh, no chemistry. Oh, sorry, I'm actually... Con- See, there you go. I'm actually confusing. I agree with you totally about your place or mine. Yeah, very poor. Yes. Very so, yeah, poor. Yeah, funny, yeah. Yes. You're, Somebody... Yes. You're I actually... You're yes. actually yeah. yeah, that's how that's how unforgettable... That's how forgettable these, these films are. The second one was called Somebody I Used to Know, which is okay. Okay to good. Yeah, okay to good. Um, with Alison Brie, who's... You, you'll probably watch the... If you watch the film, you'll think, wow, what was she in? Well, she was in uh, Mad Men back in the day. She I, I would warn people, someone I used to know... It's not like a traditional romantic comedy. It's it's would it be R rated? It would be it would it would not be family friendly at all. I can't I, co- I couldn't I couldn't even make that judgment. That's the, how much I remember. The mother, remember the mother. Oh, I remember the mother. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah, yeah. They had this gratuitous. They had some of these kind of gratuitous scenes with the mother. Yeah, it's funny. And, the, and, and the, they were and they didn't add anything. And they weren't add, and they weren't funny. Yes, it was these sex scenes, and it was like with your with the mother, and it was like yeah, it didn't. You know, I, 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 if you warn people it's R rated and the R is part of the plot, it's it's fair enough maybe. But this was just like, why are we doing this? It was gratuitous. Yes. And, and you know, and somebody thought it was funny, and it, wasn't funny. Shotgun wedding. Shotgun with wedding. J Lo, Josh Dumel, and Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer and Coolidge, who's basically in everything now. And Lenny Kravitz. I have not seen it. I only saw the start of it. Anna. I watched it. Um, I watched it so you wouldn't have to. And you really don't. You not alone don't have to watch it. I don't think you should watch it. I think it's really it's 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 very blah. And that's and in fairness, by the way, um, Jennifer Lopez has been in some good things. She's mm. been in some romantic things that were funny, like The Maid. Do you remember The Maid? I yes. think it was called, which was really funny and and had good um, you know good dialogue and was uh, and fun to watch. This is um, the only thing that's good about this is the weather. 
that the sun was shining and I was because I'm missing the, the, the heat. I was liking that. But basically, yeah. otherwise, no. And I think it brings up a bigger point that I think you've made, Phelan, which is, of course, a very smart point you've made. Because <laughs> Phelan is a bit of an aficionado of the romantic comedy genre. In fact, yes. he would love to make his own romantic comedy yes. when he grows up. But in the meantime, uh, he's able to critique romantic yes. comedies. And I think the thing that you have said, Phelan, about romantic comedies is that they, in the woke era... They're so they're unable to be sincere about people falling in love, romance. basically, and yes. about romance. They're Everyone, unable to do that. So they're trying to do something else. Yes. And they're ashamed of the genre. They're ashamed of the genre. It's kind of a conservative genre, actually, uh, because they're the romantic comedy genre uh, is. Uh, yes. It's uptight person here, crazy, casual person here. They meet each other and obviously they hate each other. But over the. Over the, uh, they're thrust together by crazy circumstances. But over the movie, the uptight person moves yes. and becomes more relaxed, and the more relaxed person becomes more responsible. And it used to be that the man was the uptight, career-driven uh, guy, and the the crazy g- the girl was kind of hippieish, you know. And then they both, they both compromise, which of course is a conservative uh, idea of. Um, Compromising for the for the, for the good, greater good for the yes. greater good, uh, um, as opposed to liberals. Let me be me, you know. And uh, <laughs> so they don't like that genre. They don't like that idea. And you even you see that in liberal romantic comedies. Uh, the what was it? Train wreck with that comedian Schumer, Amy Schumer, oh, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's very weird that she doesn't get it, but I, I think they don't want to get it. They don't like romantic comedy, but they know there can be. They know they can be hugely successful, cheap to make, massively successful, and they can be watched for generations. So they keep trying to crack the code. And Amy Schumer plays this um, loose, uh, promiscuous woman, and then there's the uptight sports doctor, right? And at the end of the movie, she becomes this kind of chaste. Yes. Uh, sober person and he remains exactly the same it's an incredibly conservative message you know that, that your liberal lifestyle is destroying your chance of happiness and your conservative lifestyle is actually the best chance of happiness so she moves almost over to the conservative side of the house so they all want to be edgy they don't like um, the idea that the conservative way of life could be something that you could move towards to achieve happiness so therefore they don't like the romantic comedy genre and that's why they hate it and that's why there's a huge market for anyone who will write and produce and distribute real romantic comedies. Because a bit like the story we did earlier and we're coming to the end of the show now but a bit like what we did earlier where you said about the you know the new research about people liking popular music <laughs> you know because it's like it's basically so people like harmonious you know they like harmonious you know and pleasant lyrics cheery, you know yeah. cheery whatever you know and equally not not Rihanna touching herself on national TV yeah and equally let's not even mention that and equally um, it's the same with the romantic comedy because the classic romantic comedy has a very happy ending which is uh, you'll be happy too if you have a traditional marriage basically it's kind of what it says at the end and of course you, we can't have that so this is why they're so unsuccessful with all the new romantic comedies anyway that's it for this week um, thank you for tuning in and uh, we'll talk to you next week bye bye hey.